Lord. Jesus, we can't uh, understand anything in your word without your spirit revealing and opening our heart and eyes to understand it. So we want to come with humility and we want to come with faith, believing and trusting and needing you. Uh, God, we want to feel our need for you. Anytime, Lord, that we come with pride, we know that you shut the doors. And God, we don't want that. We want to be open. We want the doors to be open for your spirit to flow and for our hearts and mind to be transformed by the renewing that comes through your word and through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Today we're going to see God's main man, Moses, come down from the mountain and deal with the people of God who have totally fallen into idolatry. So we're going to see him personally take things into his hands and get it done, get, get, get it taken care of. Moses has been a consistent picture of who? Jesus, I like how you said that. And uh, he's, so as we've been studying him, he's been a very good picture of Jesus, and today is no exception. So we're going to ask this question, what is God going to do with these crazy people? What is God going to do with these crazy people? Let's think about that, that question. What, what is the right way to deal with failure? Maybe, maybe your spouse has failed you. Maybe you have failed Maybe your kids fail you. Maybe your parents fail you. Maybe your neighbor has failed you. Whatever. How, what is the correct way to deal with failure? How are we going to deal with it? How, are we gonna think, how do we think that God deals with our failure? How about this? Do we get angry when people fail us? Is that our first go-to response? Hmm. Do we make excuses when we fail? Do we just ignore our failures? Eh, no big deal. How do we measure what failure is? These are all really good questions for us to think about as we're just kicking this off. Uh, we could always follow the example of this old couple that I heard of. Um, he, he asked his you know, ancient wife, how have you been so patient with me? I have failed you so many times, the husband said. I've failed you. I have done so many selfish things. How have you been able to not just be so angry with me all the time through all these years? And she responded, well, it's pretty easy. Every time you would fail me, instead of getting angry, I would just go clean the toilet. And he said he was surprised by such a selfless answer, such a, such a selfless response. But then she started to feel a little guilty, and she said, well... If you must know the whole truth, I was using your toothbrush the whole time. <laughs> so that's the, that's the strategy of don't get mad, get even, right? So that's one strategy that we can use. Don't get mad, get even. I guess we could deal with it with that strategy, I guess. Well, today we're going to find out how God and his servant Moses are going to deal with the failure of his people. Last time we studied this story... Moses was up on the mountain. God came to him and said, Moses, your people have sinned and they've done terrible things and they're, they're committing idolatry right now, dancing naked around a golden idol that they have made. And Moses said, oh, bummer. I don't like that at all. And you don't like that. And God said, I'm going to kill them all. And, and Moses is like, that's a great, I, well, Maybe not. That's not it. I love these people, and I am going to intercede for them. So Moses prayed a prayer before he's even come down, and, and he prayed a prayer of intercession for the people where he claimed God's glory 
And he said, God, you would not be glorified by killing them. And then he, he talked about God's grace. And he said, look, God, you, they didn't earn this, but you've brought them out. So your grace is on the line here. And then uh, another thing that we studied last week, God's glory, God's grace, and God's faithfulness. Thank you, honey. You listen. I love that. <laughs> that is such a blessing to me. My wife listens to my sermons. Oh, my day's made. We can go. We can go. <laughs> God's faithfulness. God, you promised them that you would make a nation out of them. I know they failed you, God. But And we saw how these three prayers, that these three ways that God interceded for the people were a really big deal. And how it's exactly how Jesus acts on our behalf, is that he pleads God's glory, God's grace, God's faithfulness, and he's willing to come down and be uh, the sacrifice for us that we need. So Moses has already dealt with God and said, God, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to represent you to these people. I'm going to deal with them. So today we're going to study what Moses does when he comes down, the actions that he does, and it's pretty funny, it's pretty amazing, and I'm really excited to talk to you about it today. So let's read Exodus chapter 32. We pick it up in verse 15, where it says, And Moses turned and went down from the mountain. The two tablets of the testimony were in his hands. So remember that Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days, and God has been teaching him all that we've learned so far in Exodus about the Ten Commandments, but not only that, how God is going to provide this tabernacle, this great building that is going to teach them so much about Jesus and, and God's sufficiency and how he's going to deal with them. So Moses is carrying these, these uh, two tablets, of the, and he's coming down. He's already pled for the people. Now he's going down to deal with it. And this reminds us of Jesus, ha! of course, coming down from heaven. Uh, and, and the thing um, that uh, he, he came down from heaven to show us and that he would live the Ten Commandments. He kept them perfectly. And that's what it, it symbolizes by Moses holding these Ten Commandments in his hand, saying, look, this is what the Ten Commandments are. When Jesus came down, he lived the Ten Commandments. Uh, he, he never broke a single commandment, the only man ever to do so. So let's keep going. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other, they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was with the writing of God engraved on the tablets. So this is God's very idea, his own standard of what perfect life looks like. This is what is required of every human being, the Ten Commandments. And look, he wrote them on both sides, so you didn't have an excuse saying, I was standing behind Moses, I didn't see what they said. He didn't, he didn't, he wrote them on both sides. So no matter where you're standing, no matter what your view, you see God's standard, which is not really good news for us because we are going to fail to meet that standard every day. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. So it was as soon as he came near to the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Joshua had gone with Moses, we find out later in the book of Deuteronomy, and he knows something is going on, um, but he doesn't know what it is. He's just like, Moses, I've been waiting for you to get down off the mountain, and, and, and the people are doing something crazy down there. And Moses is like, yeah, but it's not, it's not war. It's not war. This is religious worship. They have decided to do something very bad. They're worshiping an idol. So in other words, 
They weren't being attacked. They did this all themselves. No one forced them into this idolatry. There was no war that they lost or war that they were fighting. This was simply their own hearts that said, we need something to worship. And that's what they did. So Moses' anger became hot. Who's Moses the picture of? Jesus. And so some people read those words right there that we reread, and they're like, wait a second. Jesus is never angry. He's like a beanie baby with skin. He is He's just soft and loving all the time. But those people haven't read the Bible, have they? I mean, Jesus was the most loving person to ever live. He was the most happy person to ever live, but sometimes he was the most angry person that ever lived. He was very angry about a lot of things. I remember one specific time, he made a court of whips and full-on just whipped people out of the temple. And, and you're like, I think that's my spiritual gift. I think this is the plan. I have finally come to church and heard how God made me. And I'm so excited. No, just kidding. But this, Moses is a type of Christ here. We're going to see this, this idolatry makes Christ very angry, very angry. In the Old Testament, there's a book called Hosea. And in that book, God tells Hosea, the prophet, God says, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. And I want you to have kids with her. And she is going to cheat on you a whole bunch of times. And I want you to keep bringing her back, loving her, restoring her, and forgiving her. And Hosea is like, I think you called the wrong prophet. You're, you're mean, you meant Jonah, right? <laughs> or whatever. He's, he, that is not a great calling. But that was his calling. And God did that because the whole story of the book of Hosea was how the children of Israel are unfaithful to Christ and how it makes Jesus feel. It feels like being cheated on. It feels like a broken heart. And part of that emotion is anger. And so here we see Moses, his anger became hot, and he cast the tablet out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf, which they had made, and he burned it in the fire and ground it in powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Wow. (laughs) This is called righteous anger. You guys ever heard that term before? Righteous anger. And so I know all of you just asked in your head, can I have righteous anger? Is that my spiritual gift? Maybe I am called to be the angry person in everybody's life. And and just it makes people so love me when I'm angry with them about their sin. Well, let's see. Maybe if you spent 40 days and nights with the Lord alone, feeding and being sustained by his word alone, maybe you could have righteous anger. Maybe if you've already offered prayers of intercession for the people that you're about to get angry at, maybe then you can get angry. Maybe if you're about ready to offer yourself to be condemned to hell so they could be forgiven, then you can have the gift of getting angry. How about that? Maybe we'll just agree on those things. Because that's what Moses has just done. Moses just prayed for these people. He pled on their behalf. Pleaded, pled? What's, is that a word, pled? Pleaded? I don't know the past tense of pled. Sorry. Huh? Okay, all right, thank you. I trust you guys. This section here I trust. Thank you. He just prayed for them. He, and he's about ready, we're going to see, to offer himself and say, please send me to hell if you're not going to forgive these people. A self-sacrifice. If that is really your heart, then feel free to get angry at at other people's failures and sin. 
And if you're really thinking, okay, then you, you probably didn't hear what I said. <laughs> so if you, don't ha- if you haven't developed this heart of love that we see in Moses, your anger is probably sourced from where? Self or flesh. It's probably not got a good self, a, a good uh, source. And, and so the wrath of man can never produce the righteousness of God, we're told. And, and we should think about this when we discipline our children, when we're, when, um, do, let's just ask this question, do we discipline without anger? Or do we, you know, think that anger makes it more disciplining, more effective, will be more serious, Right? But Moses, he, he's more than just angry at these people. He is a mediator for these people. He's their lawyer. He loves them. Even though he's very upset with them and he's, he recognizes their failure, he, um, he is faithful to represent them and to pray for them. He's already done that. He's going to do it again. But So he has every right to say, guys, you guys are really bumming me out. He knows God's standards and he knows how much punishment they deserve so Moses is going to step up right now and he's going to be the hero that saves them. Let's watch how he does it. Let's watch how he teaches these people. First, it says that he cast the tablets out of his hands and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. This illustrates, or he's going to teach the people a lesson about their behavior and their unrighteousness. So he's teaching them that you can't break one command without breaking all of them. That's what he's teaching them. And we learn this in James chapter 2, verse 9. It says, If you show partiality, you commit sin and are convict, convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all of it. So James is talking about one tiny little thing. People thought this was a little thing. I just like some people better than I like other people. Is that so wrong? And James is like, you're a total idiot because if you break one little part... You break it all, and you're guilty of it all. Wow. That's the standard of the law. That's what it expects. So Moses is teaching them that lesson by taking all the law and smashing it down right before them. He's saying, look, look what you guys did. This is what you did. Then he took the calf which they had made. He burned it in fire and ground it in powder and scattered it in the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Just imagine the story, be living this story. Could you imagine? Like, it's like your dad comes home and you're in trouble and you're like, mm, what's he going to do? He's going to take away my Xbox. And he takes your Xbox, he takes your PS4, and he smashes it into a million pieces, and then he pours it in your water and he makes you drink it. Like, waterboarding style. <laughs> he makes them drink it. I just find that kind of hilarious. Moses is taking the, the valuable gold that they made an idol of it, the gold which God provided for these people. Where did they get their gold earrings? Do you remember? Yeah, when they were coming out of Egypt, like 30 days before, God's like, hey, I'm going to make it so all the Egyptians just give you all their gold and stuff like all their earrings, and you can just take whatever you want because you didn't get paid for like 400 years, so I'm going to make them pay you. So they get blessed by all this like material blessing. God provided it for them, but then they turned and they idolized their TV, I mean their gold. 
They idolize their car, I mean their gold. They idolize their houses and their freedom. Oh, they idolize their country. They, whatever it is that God has blessed you with, when it becomes an idol, Moses comes down the mountain. And Moses destroys it. But he not only destroys it, he makes them drink it so that when it finally comes out, it's corrupted. And no Jewish person would ever touch it again. No sane person would ever touch it again. If you get what I'm talking about. My wife and I had a bunch of laughs this week talking about what I could name the sermon. But if we spared you all, I'd listen to all of her no's. (laughs) but there were some good ones, right? There were some really good ones. There were some really, really good ones. All right. This is sometimes how... But by the way, this got me on a train. So studying this week, I studied eating gold and if it's bad for you or if it will kill you. And I found out that it's not bad for you. It's completely inert and you can eat gold and it'll just pass right through you, but it passes right through you and it's never usable again. So... Uh, but they actually have like, you know, drinks with gold flakes in it and they have uh, chocolate with gold dust on it. And I was like pretty surprised at all the stuff they have gold. They have gold hamburgers. Uh, they have hamburgers with gold. It's like a thousand. Anyway, it was really very interesting. But this shows us how sometimes God chooses to discipline us. Sometimes God has to take the thing that he's blessed to you. He, sometimes he has to take it away. And when he does... Uh, when, when we've chosen to idolize it, he makes it so gross that we never want to touch it again. Has anyone ever experienced that? Where we really loved something and then God's discipline comes upon us and now we hate that thing. Hate it. Like just despise it. Just don't want to be around it. The smell of it. Some people say this about alcohol. Sometimes when they were, their sin, their idol was alcohol beforehand, before they come to Christ, and then they, they, they're disciplined or, or some, God just changes them to where they cannot stand the smell of it anymore. And alcohol is not bad, but sometimes God makes it bad to us. And we're like, ew, that's gross. So this is how a loving father, this is how a loving teacher behaves for rebellious people. He is saving them. He's not being mean. Take your medicine. He is training them and he's helping them. So let's see what this Father Moses, we'll call him Father Moses right now, deals with the babysitter that was supposed to be taking care of his children. Ah, this is funny too. So Moses said to Aaron, Aaron was supposed to be in charge of the people while Moses went up onto the mountain. What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Okay, you guys ready for some excuses? Some top shelf excuse making? Here we go. Watch this. So Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. So Aaron starts off great by saying, calm down, bro. Remember, Moses and Aaron are brothers. Who's older? Right. So he's like, little bro, calm down, right? This is not that big a deal, dude. It's not that big a deal. And then he says this, you know the people that they are set on evil. So then he says, bro, 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 these people are just lame. They're not like you and me, buddy. We are awesome. These kids are evil. Okay? These are some good excuses. Now, I, as I'm studying this and I was studying this, I found a video 
that I, uh, I thought, I, I found actual footage of this happening. Are you ready? Or do you have sound on this too? Let's check it out. I want to see if we can figure this out. I got this video, okay? So they're, they're working up the video. Give me a thumbs up when it's ready, and I'm going to keep talking about this for just a minute. So our text continues, and he says, For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. And as for this Moses who brought us down out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and poof, this calf came out. That's what the Bible says. I think the poof is literally there. So this video is from a kid named... So, actual footage of Aaron saying, I don't know what you're talking about, Moses. I just cast, I, I asked for the gold, and I just threw it in the fire, and poof, out came this idol. But we already, we already know he's lying, right? He lies to Moses. He blames the people. Uh, it, it already told us early in this chapter that he took the gold, he put it in the fire, he molded a calf, and then he probably signed his name on it saying, Aaron made this because who's going to be the leader of these crazy people with Moses is gone. I am. So Aaron is just a total, just like that. I, he's like, oh, why is your name on it then? Liam or whatever. That, that was so funny. Oh man. So Aaron, he is, he, he is not, uh, he does not know how to do good ministry. He's lying. He's blaming the people. Um, he, he, Moses asked why he let this happen, and Aaron takes no self-responsibility because he's self-focused, he's self-centered, and he's a failure too, just like the people have failed. So Aaron's sin was so great that God was actually going to kill him, we learn in Deuteronomy chapter 9. And, and Moses goes and prays for him for 40 days, him and for the people in, in just a moment. He's going to pray for 40 days for them, and God, again, listens to Moses, not because God is angry in this angry God, but because God is teaching his people what it means to have a mediator. And that mediator, Moses, is a type of Jesus. So all of this is really about Jesus. And, and so every time you see God getting angry and then listening to the prayer of someone, remember it's about learn, teaching us about mediation. 
So it says, when, Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. So Aaron represents uh, the priests of the law. Do you, did anyone know what tribe Aaron was from? Levi. And the Levites, one of, this, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, were the, the tribe that was responsible to uh, be priests and to care about the law and to teach all the people about the law. So Aaron represents this tribe of Levites, the old covenant. He represents the covenant of God, of law. And because the law, law alone can never fix what's wrong in a human heart, um, here it's, it doesn't even work a little bit. It didn't even restrain the people. Aaron, you know, maybe tried his best, but he really failed. But he represents a system that really fails. Law, rules, does not fix hearts. And that's one thing that we can see in this. It just actually makes us want to sin more. That's the truth. When you hear, don't touch the candy, what do you want to do? Touch the candy. Yes, son. We just are like that. That is, the, that is what the Bible declares. We, our, our sin is brought to the surface. It didn't make you want the candy. It showed you that you do want the candy. That's what it does. That's what law does. So Moses stood at the entrance of the camp. Only the gospel can, just one final thought to tie that last thought in a bow. Only the gospel can truly transform us, right guys? So that's, that's the last point of that. So Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. And the sons of Levi gathered themselves to him. <laughs> so <laughs> if you know what's going to happen, this is a little funny, because all the people who are like, we are all about the law, they come to Moses right now. Okay? And the sons of Levi gathered themselves to him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the words of Moses. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. And Moses said, Consecrate yourself today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day for every man has opposed his son and his brother. Now there are some obvious like practical issues with that text thinking like, okay, God is commanding them to kill each other. Okay, so let's just, I want to just lay all those issues kind of aside for one minute. And I want to look at the typical meaning of this, the, the type, the, the image of this. Who did this? The sons of Levi. What did the sons of Levi teach and what were they all about? And what did they represent? Law. So what can the law do? Kill and bring death. That's right. It can only, it's really good at that. And it will kill its own brother and its own mother and father and neighbors. That's what's going on here. God is teaching them a lesson. And this is a plague. This is a discipline of the Lord. But can you imagine being one of those Levites? Like, okay, I really care about the law. And then the, the command comes saying, okay, you got to go kill your... Oh, well, I wasn't... Uh, really? That's harsh. That is, I'm not sure I want to. And God's like, you don't understand how bad sin is. You don't understand how bad it is and the discipline and consequences that comes with it. Um, even if we were to live perfectly, we would be blessed, he says. You know, there is a blessing that comes if you keep the law. Um, and, but in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, 
it says, we've been made sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So again, if you were thinking, oh, I found my second spiritual gift, killing everybody. Not, not the way it works. That system, over and done, we don't suffer those consequences anymore. The Spirit gives life. So even though these people were guilty of idolatry, their consequence was death. But when I'm guilty of idolatry, what does the Spirit do for me? He pours life into me. He pours life into me. Instead of me facing the negative consequences that I deserve, he pours life into me. I don't deserve that. But he, it's like you have a cup filled with dirt. You could either take like the, the thing, you know, I'm going to break this cup to get the dirt out, you know. That's how the law works. But the Spirit, he pours life into us, and the dirt that was inside us just bubbles up, just overflows out. And the, the process of him pouring life into us is how purification works in the new covenant, as opposed to there's dirt on this cup, trash, I'm done with you. Romans 7, 5 says, while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So again, it's not the law that's actually killing us. We are the ones who have death inside us. And that's what uh, happens when we live by a law-based covenant with God. Let's keep going in our text. We're almost done. Exodus 32, verse 30. Now it came to pass in, in the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. So now... I will go up to the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. Wow. Moses intercedes for the people a second time. This is the second time he's going to pray for them. And this is how Moses personally deals with their rebellion. We could say everything that was done before was theoretical. God, you know, you want to make a great nation out of me, but in theory, I think you should stick with these people who are, are, are just idiots. They're, they're just failures, but you should stick with them. I'm going to be dead soon anyway. I Just stick with them. I don't want to be the figurehead of a new nation. Just kind of theoretical. I mean, it's good heart, but here we see Moses' actual Put your name on it. It's yours. You bought it. Engaging with these sinful people. This time, he identifies with them so completely that he asks to be their substitute and their sacrifice. Who does that remind you of? Right? Does Moses make any excuses for them? No. He only offers his own life in exchange for theirs. He thinks God is every bit just to slaughter them all. But he says, but we love them, God. So if it takes me being condemned, then I will do what you want. This is love. This is what grace looks like. This is how Jesus works. This is how it works today, as as it's worked every day since the beginning of creation, God sacrificially loves his children. He loves us deeply. And the enemy 
is going around this world spreading all kinds of false rumors that Jesus isn't good for today, that none of this really matters in 2018 in Denver, and he's doing anything to distract us from the most important thing that matters, which is what Jesus is and what he does. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now, therefore, go lead the people to that place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day that I visit for punishment, I, shall vi- I will visit punishment upon them for their sins. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. So, yes, Moses, punishment will come. Death will come, but Moses, you're just a type. You can't be the sacrifice. You can't be the substitute because you're a miserable sinner too. That's what God's saying here. He's saying, Moses, I love you. You've been a great type, but you are just a type. You cannot bear the cross. You can't because you're a sinner. The only thing that makes Jesus... You know, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people were crucified in the same years that Jesus was crucified. But none of their deaths matter. We don't go around singing their songs. The only reason why Jesus' death matters is because he was a worthy sacrifice. He was a worthy death. He was sinless. He was perfect. And in God's eyes, he was God's very own son. And so his life being sacrificed as a substitute changes everything. Jesus will have to endure my wrath on the day it comes, God says. But Moses, it's not up to you to do that. You can't do that. It's not going to go that way. But there will be punishment, and when God's wrath comes 2,000 years ago, or from this point, about 2,500 years in the future, Jesus would do it. And today we live at peace with God because of the finished work of Jesus our Savior. Today, God is no longer angry at our sin and idolatry. For it has already been punished, and we stand before a holy God as holy as himself. We're like a wedding bride wearing a wedding dress of pure white that's good enough for the bridegroom that is God. And all this is thanks to the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us from all sin. He gave himself as our redemption. This this verse says, Moses is like, I want to be their redemption. Well, Jesus was. He took the curse and the plague that we deserved and he, that he bore it upon the cross. That he may, uh, you know, so this morning I think we should praise him, worship him, humble ourselves before him, and, and stir up faith in ourselves and in each other, saying, are we going to walk with Jesus? Are we going to trust him? That's our, our finish in that text right there. We got to trust to Jesus. Anyone know what the word propitiation means? Someone give it a shot. Substitute? Mm, kinda. Okay. To fulfill the wrath of God is the technical seminary. Def- Thank you, seminary student Norm. <laughs> to satisfy the wrath of God is what the word propitiation means. In our, in our previous study, we saw Moses and God's heart just becoming one, Moses like loving, like loving the people. 
In this study, we see Moses' personal touch. He says, I want to be the propitiation for these. I don't want you to be angry at them, God. I want you to get angry at me first. And I want you to pour out all your anger on me so that you won't ever be angry at them. Is God ever angry with you as a believer? The answer is no. It is impossible for God to be angry at you, a believer. Now, God is angry at your sin, but that anger, God did a crazy time thing, and he took the sin out of you, and he put it on Jesus on the cross, and he poured out his anger, and he killed Jesus there to punish your sin so that we can go free. So when we sin, we get no anger. We just get a loving father that says, come here, it's been paid for. I'm not angry with you. All you get is my love. Now, he does discipline us, but that is never done in anger. He is not angry with you. He cannot be angry with you. In Hebrews 2.17, it says, Therefore, in all things, he, made, he was made to be like his brethren. Jesus came, became to be like us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Uh, uh, he was a high priest. He was a high priest. What were the Levites? Priests, right? But what did they do when people sinned? They killed them, right? How many of them did they kill? 3,000, right? Jesus, he's a faithful and merciful high priest. Ah, oh, he is not like them. He is a different kind of high priest. Hebrews seven eleven says, Therefore, if, protection, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, remember them, the Levites? For under it people received the law. What further need was there for another priest? So he's saying you can't be perfect by the law. But there, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? So Jesus is a different kind of priest. He's from a more ancient plan, a different plan, a different way called grace, where he, you know, 400 years before this event, in Exodus, he dealt with Abraham in a way called grace, where he just made promises to Abraham, and Abraham believed his promises by faith, and Abraham's sin was all washed away. That's the whole big picture. It's before the law, it's above the law, and it's what we live in now called grace in the new covenant. On this day that the law was given, when the law came down the mountain, 3,000 people were killed because of their guilt before God. But the day that Jesus sent down his spirit so that all the requirements of the law could be fulfilled in us, how many people were saved on that day? You remember in the book of Acts? 3,000. And those numbers are not mistakes. They're not typos. That is, they are there for that reason so that we realize law brings death. Spirit brings life. So which one do you think God wants us, wants us to live our life by? By the law or by the Spirit? Ah, easy question, right? Well, well, but ask yourself, what do you ask for more? Hey, give me a plan. Give me something solid I can do. Give me three steps. Give me ten steps. Give me twelve steps. I love steps. 
Give me something I can hold on to. Give me something I can do. Give me, you know, the steps I need to take. Give me how many Hail Marys I need to say. Give me a way that I can make it up to you, God. All of those are law, and the end of all of those is going to be failure and death. Or is this how we ask? God, give me your spirit by your grace. Because I don't deserve it. I cannot earn it. I'm not good enough to earn and and deserve your spirit, but I'm asking you to give it to me anyway. Ask is a very important word. It, It encompasses two big ideas that we talk about every week. Humility. That means, man, I've sinned. I'm broken. I'm wrong. I'm empty. I'm needy. And I cannot keep your law in my own strength. That is the definition of humility. And then, Asking encompasses the idea of faith. I'm going to put my hope in Jesus, my Savior. The one who's came down the mountain for me. The one who identified with me so completely that he became a man and he asked to take my sin upon his shoulders and he asked to be killed for me like Moses did for these people today. These two ideas of humility and faith together we call surrender. And that's why we use that word so often. We say, are we going to surrender to God today? It means are we going to F and H this, faith and humility? Are we going to surrender to God? Are we going to turn in simple trust of faith and humility to God? Surrender to God is going to be our, what we do at this church. It's, it's our strategy. It's our plan. And I want this to be well, well known for us. We, we're going to aim at surrendering with God 30 minutes a day. God time. Where we're surrendering with God. We're listening to him through his word and we're praying. We're going to aim at that number 30 minutes maybe. You start at 15 minutes. You start at five minutes for all I care. Just aim at something. We're going to, what? Is that a step? Well, it's a target. It's different than a step. Because faith and humility are the steps. That's a good question. That's a good question. There was a guy who was um, uh, like a world-class shooter, gun shooter, and he was in the Olympics, and he was so far ahead of everybody else. He had gotten like bullseyes on every single one. And his last one, he was just kind of like messing around and just like, oh, look how good I am. And he aimed and and he was just like turning around like, yeah, I know, it was a bullseye. And like he saw the score, it was a zero. And he's like, what happened? And, and the judges were like, oh, bro, sorry. You aimed at the wrong target and got a bullseye on the wrong target. And that's a true story. 2004 Olympics, I think. So listen, if we're not aiming for anything, we're going to hit it. Okay? Humility and faith and surrender, we got to aim, aim it at something. And and everything we see in the Bible is that humility and faith builds a relationship, and relationships are built with time. Time. So we're going to aim at 30 minutes a day just to spend time. We're going to aim to surrender with God and in our relationships with his family, our adopted family, these guys here. We're going to aim at coming to church and surrendering with humility and faith, saying God has a reason for me to be there, I'm going to show up and I'm going to love the people God has put in faith around me. Oh, but I don't like them. Okay, well, humility and faith with that. Maybe they don't like you either, but they love you. And faith, 
Do you think God could maybe transform them by his grace? Yes, he could. So we use humility and faith with our relationships with each other. Um, we're going to surrender with our relationship with the world. Are you, in, are you being intentional about being a witness to the gospel in your life? Who was the last person you shared the gospel with? And I'm not saying that to, uh, to guilt you because not, we're not guilting. That's not our strategy. Humility and faith is our strategy. So, but we can't assess ourselves. Do I even care about God's mission to save this world? Do I care about God's mission to save Denver? To save the Spanish-speaking population here? To save the, my people I work with? Do I care? Am I praying? It all starts by praying. That's how we develop the humility and faith, life in our, in our relationships with each other. We've gone on uh, today. It's, it's been a really great snow day, but where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Just going to go home. So thanks for spending some time in the Word today. Um, we're going to sing. How many? we got some songs. we got a couple songs. So during these last couple songs, we got communion available. And what we're going to do is we are going to thank Jesus for all that he's done. We're going to remember what he's done. We're going to put our faith in what he will do in our lives. That's what the all of communion is about. Um, again, next week is going to be really an interesting and life-giving week. So don't miss it. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you are a uh, merciful and faithful high priest, that you give us um, your very life in substitute, and in, you surrendered your will to the will of your Father. God, you didn't have to do that. And Jesus, we praise you and honor you. You're the only person that loves us the way that you do. You're the only person that provides for all our needs, and, uh, and you certainly wash away our sins and failures. Thank you for this uh, time where we just learn about Moses' personal touch, how he comes down and is such a wonderful type of you. But thank you also that he, he did not attempt to be our Savior, that, that he let you, God, uh, take care of that yourself. And Jesus, we give you praise and honor. We surrender our lives completely to you in our relationship with you. We want to spend time abiding with you in our relationship with our family here. We want to spend time serving and loving and honoring each other. And God, in our relationship with the world, make us bold to share your gospel, to pray for people to get saved in our life and to uh, invite them to church and invite them to in- introduce them, Jesus, to, uh, to you and to your glory. Give us new hearts that cannot stand the thought of people dying and going to hell around us. Lord, free us from any idols that we may be uh, turning to. And instead, Jesus, teach us to turn to you only. And uh, Jesus, do a mighty work, we ask, during these last couple songs of worship and then our entire day. I pray that we'd surrender fully to your will in everything. Give us your life, Jesus, to be lived through our bodies. In your name we pray, amen.